I'm your host, Rob Carbone. This is BD4. Before we even think about getting into an irrelevant subject today in sports, I need to get to the bottom of something here that I've been trying to get to the bottom for the past 24 hours now. I've legitimately lost sleep over it because some people are sociopaths. And I just need to hear your opinion. So whether you're watching this on YouTube or if you're listening to this podcast on, you know, one of the major podcast feeds, I want you to comment somehow, whether it's on YouTube or obviously you can't comment on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, yada, yada. One of my social media platforms, you know, I usually post it, post the podcast link and the promos there. I need you to tell me, and I have a poll on Twitter, go vote. Is a hot dog a sandwich? Yes or no? That's it. Is a hot dog a sandwich? Is a hot dog a sandwich? I want you to go and give me an answer on my Twitter poll. Um, nobody's really voted so far because <laughs> nobody knows about my Twitter. Um, and I probably lost in the algorithm somewhere because I tweet so much. But... I need to get to the bottom of this because I've had some crazy people tell me yes. And I know it's not. How could you call a hot dog a sandwich? Is your argument going to be because it's in between bread? That's your argument? Then how come we don't call it a sandwich? How come I've never heard anybody says, Oh, I want to go have a hot dog sandwich. Are you out of your fucking mind? Is, is, so if, if that's a sandwich... Do you call a cheeseburger a sandwich? That's in between a bun. It's been pissing me off. I've been trying to figure this out all day. And maybe it's because I just finished up my classes for this semester. I'm all done with my finals. My exams and my assignments are all over with. And I'm driving myself bored now with nothing to do. Until I start back up with work this summer. But man, I need to get to the fucking bottom of this. Because... How could you possibly say yes to something like this? And if you have said yes to something like this, there is a special place for you in hell. And I hope you die in the most painful way possible to get there. I'm sorry. But I'm talking to nobody here because nobody actually thinks it's a sandwich, right? So if if that was offensive to you, it shouldn't because, you know, there are no human beings on this earth. That could possibly think this way. I'm sorry. There is no way you can spin it and tell me that a hot dog is a sandwich. It's not a sandwich. It's its own entity. It's its own thing. I've had an overwhelming favor so far just asking around 
uh, the favorite has been that no, it's not a sandwich. But like, I've had a few idiots to be honest with you. I've had some, I've had some people that I've had to cut off in my life. Some some ex friends that we will call them now. No way, no way, is it a sandwich? That's a weak argument too. It's in between buns. It's like a. It's like the whole is water wet thing. Of course it's wet. It's water. What are you going to tell me it's not wet? The people who say water isn't wet are the same exact people who say a hot dog is a sandwich. Water is wet. You can feel water. It's wet. When you feel water, your hands are wet afterwards because you're touching wet. You're touching water. Don't tell me water is not wet. When you go inside of a pool of water... You're wet when you come out. Why? Because the substance you were in was wet. It's water. Water is wet. Water is what makes wet. So water is wet. Water is wet and a hot dog is not a sandwich. How's everybody doing? I'm your host, RJ Carbone. This is episode 248 of the podcast tonight. Welcome to BD4, where there's no better way to get your Yankees and Knicks analysis. And, um... Yeah, man, it's an interesting day. It's been an interesting day. <laughs> I don't know how I came about that, but I, I guess I just, I don't know. I really don't know now. It's It's been on my mind so long and I've been thinking about it so much and been so frustrated with some of the answers I've been getting that it's become lost to me how I even stumbled upon this subject to begin with. It's not a sandwich. It never will be a sandwich. It's not a sandwich. A hot dog isn't a sandwich. Are you a psycho? Are you are you a psychopath? What's the difference between a psychopath and a sociopath? I don't know, but you know who would be able to tell you that? Somebody who thinks a hot dog is a sandwich because they'd probably be going they'd probably be going to therapy for that because they need a better mental state. It's not a sandwich. It never will be a sandwich. If you think it's a sandwich, you need to get help quick. And we're fortunately in 2021. There's a lot of help out there. So take advantage of that help. Yeah. Earlier today, I saw something funny on, on Instagram. <laughs> Killed me. Um, Derek Lewis, UFC fighter. Somebody asked him, well, somebody broke into his car, by the way, and he beat the shit out of them. But somebody asked him, this is irrelevant to that subject. Somebody asked Derek Lewis, I don't know who it was, I think he was asked, I don't know, someone in the media, if he could have somebody play him in a movie, who would it be? <laughs> My man answered, John Travolta. If you squint real hard, you could see it. Hell of a season, man. Hell of a season. Hell of a season. And we're going to talk about the season. We're going to review some things. We're going to go over what to expect in this Sunday night matchup against the Hawks. Gosh, I can't wait for that shit. I don't remember, like, 2013, I don't remember that moment waiting for the playoffs. But I'm sure I was ecstatic. I'm even more right now. Um, so, yeah, we're going to talk Knicks. This will be a long episode. Got a lot to discuss, obviously, being it's the final 
podcast of the regular season. So the Knicks end the season high. Look ahead to Sunday, and we're going to get to our final report card. And the underachieving, boring Yankees, who, you know, picked up a win tonight. Hopefully they take three out of four this series. I will not accept the split after they failed to sweep Baltimore in three. A minor league squad in Texas is not much better. They were on a six-game losing streak before they headed into this series and beat us. But we did win tonight. Hopefully we can take the remaining two as well. Um, but as for the Knicks, let's get to all that. Let's not waste further time. And when we get back, we'll have to break. When we get back, we'll really briefly recap the um, the final game of the regular season, which was the Knicks and the Celtics, or the G League Celtics. And um, after that, we'll start discussing, you know, reviewing things on how the season went and such. So... That'll be that. Water is wet. A hot dog, not a sandwich. If you believe so, get some help. Be right back. Yeah, so basically Brad Stevens just being with the Celtics were already a lock for the play-in, no matter what the result of this game was. He sat everybody, you know, no Tatum, no Brown, rested the guys who needed rest, and the guys who were slightly injured, he just sat them out. And the entire G League squad basically played for Boston. Um, and, and who, by the way, Boston, after tonight's events, they will now play the Nets in the first round. So... Two teams I despise so much playing each other. So that's always fun. Uh, but this entire game was pretty tight. You know, it was... Um, first quarter was tight. It was... <clears throat> excuse me. It was... Um, <clears throat> damn. Yeah, it was tied at 35 points apiece halfway through the second quarter. Then the Knicks got on a run to finish out the half from there. They went on a 19-4 run. Um, they were forcing a couple of turnovers. R.J. Barrett and Julius Randle were swishing and dishing. Um, got some great defense by Nerlens Noel at the rim and in the passing lanes. Stole one off of uh, a pass to um, Taco Fall in the post. And then with under a minute left, he had Noel blocking. What's his name? Sorry, I got something popping up on my screen here. With under a minute left, you had... Something happened to my fucking tablet. With under a minute left, you had Noel blocking Aaron Neesmith. And it led to the Knicks. It led the Knicks on the on the break, which Rose slowed it down. Got them into a half-court set. Tossed it to Julius at the top of the key, posting up. And from post-up, Randall kicked it to Reggie in the corner, open for three. That was the final make of the half for both sides, and the Knicks went into the break up 15 points, 54-39. to 39. Third quarter comes, and that's kind of the sign of bad things to come later. Knicks allowing more open threes for Boston. They attempted over 40 triples in the game. 
Um, you had Peyton on that one offensive possession, though, where he basically mailed it the fuck in, and you could tell by his body language he was just slouched, pouting in the corner. His back was turned to the possession. Tommy Beer put it up on Twitter, um, the clip of it. It was it was ugly. Uh, you could see. You could see. And we're going to get into Peyton. We will. Um, so the Knicks lost the third quarter by three points. Uh, they eventually pulled away in the fourth. They took a 17-point lead with seven minutes and 38 seconds to go once Taj Gibson laid it in. But then they let their foot off the gas. They got lazy. They figured, all right, we wrap this up. Let's go home. Or they're already home. But let's finish this regular season up and wait for the Hawks to come on Sunday. No, they got lazy. And they, um, yeah, they let Boston get right back in it. They started over committing. And that left them open to, uh, left them susceptible to open shooters on the perimeter. And, you know. Boston, a 15-0 run, cuts it to three points. A few possessions later, Derrick Rose is stripped by Waters, and he cuts it to one with a finish out in transition. Luke Cornett gets a fucking wide-open three, which would have made perfect sense if it did fall and tie the game with the way things were going. I feel like that was in the script, and somehow it didn't happen. Um, but Bullock finally hits a big baseline jumper. He, you know... Gets the shot fake, and then he hit and he takes a step in, connects on the baseline mid range, and while the Nick offense sputtered from there, the jumper was enough because so did the Celtics offense. The Knicks locked down. Noel came through with another huge swat there at the end of the game, and that was that. The Knicks ended up pulling away by the skin of their teeth, through the skin of their freaking teeth. Um, but a win's a win, right? So you take it. You definitely take it. R.J. Barrett had 22 points. 14 of those 22 came in the third quarter. He was scoring from all over the court. Um, a lot of transition baskets. He was hitting the threes again. Two for four. Um, Should have went to him more down the stretch. I don't know why we shied away from him and went back to iso ball. Reggie was hot again. He started the game off four for four from downtown. Cooled off as the game went along. But another, another double figure effort from him in the scoring category. Um... And he finished the game well. He rebounded well. He played good defense. So even when the shot wasn't as hot, he was doing other things to contribute. Um, I have got, what else? Derek Rose, seven points on nine shots. He struggled, but left on the bench way too long in the middle of that fourth quarter. There was like a six or seven minute stretch where we needed him, but Thibodeau left him on the bench. And, you know, I thought he should have gotten more being he's their best point guard than 23 minutes in that one that would have been a good that would have been a good time to slide him back in there um you know with Burks and IQ not exactly helping everybody else get going you know Burks was good he had a fabulous scoring game with 17 but he didn't provide much at that point guard you know he was the point guard he was scoring the ball but he played on the ball it didn't really help everybody else get going um, IQ one for seven. Alfred Payton abysmal again. Ends the season with another zero point game. <laughs> Taj and Noel. Taj and Noel were solid. Without Noel's big time blocks, the Knicks don't win this game. Taj less stellar, but still very productive. Um, and then Julius obviously twenty points, seven boards, seven assists. Did not shoot well. He cooled off down the stretch. 5 for 17, but whatever. 
right? The Knicks still uh, pick up the victory. So that was pretty much the Celtics game. Wasn't the best game, but the Knicks won. So we're going to head to break, and when we get back, we'll start discussing some things about the season and how everything went, and we'll get into our report cards. So be right back. All right. It's crazy because we came into this season as a team, as an organization, really, without an identity, right? And now we're leaving this season, whatever we do in the playoffs, again, we're, we're with house money right now. After the postseason, we're going to be leaving. Going forward from here on out, we'll have legitimate expectations. So it's going to be different. There's not going to be any more, you know, small but mighty type of storyline you know this Knicks team from here on out after a season like this the way they really overachieved and played exciting ball just and again this is why I like to point them to the 2017 Yankees in in a way is that those Yankees from that 2017 season and on after that 2017 season they had expectations and it wasn't as fun and feel good right it hasn't been that since because they are expected to do big things. Now, the Knicks aren't going to have title expectations just yet after this year. But they're going to be expected to do at least that and more from here on out. There's not going to be another year where we look for moral victories. And we look for, you know, player development and things like that. No, from here on out, you know, we entered this season without an identity. But now we've established an identity is that we want to be contenders every step of the way from here on out. So that's one thing I want to point out. Like Knicks fans forget about that from here on out next season. There's not going to, there's going to be an expectation to do it again. And we need to remember that we're going to have to, the Knicks, you know, the Knicks are going to have to toughen up mentally even more so. And, and I, I think that, you know, they know this, they know it's not going to be a, you know, I guess I'm just trying to say it's not, like I said, it's not going to be a feel-good story again. You know, if they do it again, they're doing what they're supposed to do. That's the world of expectation, unfortunately. That's what's going to be happening. So look out for that. The media is going to expect things from them. Other, league, other teams are going to start adjusting and expecting things from them. So it's not going to be this small but mighty team who has overachieved the Knicks are going to fucking have some expectations, which is exciting. It's good. It's good to have expectations. Uh, but yeah, the narrative heading into this year, crazy, right? We were expected, you know, another tank season, um, looking at the lottery, you know, hey, if they can just focus on player development and moral victories and then 30 wins would be a nice idea. Maybe even if even, you know, 
And here we are. We end up with 41 wins, 10 games above 500. 41 wins, which is more than the last two seasons combined. 38. And remember, this is a shortened season. 72, not 82. Amazing. We take the fourth seed. We've got home court advantage. And Madison Square Garden is waiting for us. And we're waiting for the Hawks. And MSG is no longer going to be a fucking place where you can, you know, fuck around and it's not going to be everybody's playground again as, as LeBron James like to say and you're not going to be flipping bottles on the court you know when you're on the bench no it's you're coming in here you're going to face a tough gritty physical Knicks defense you know a resilient squad so yeah it's it's been a hell of a year and you know I'll tell you what man there better be one at least one Nick better be getting some kind of award or accolade here you know it's whether it be Tom Thibodeau getting the coach of the year um although you could argue Monty Williams but I think that's more of a CP3 effect you know when you look at what he's done what he did to OKC and but if Tibbs doesn't win coach of the year I mean does Derrick Rose get six man something he said Noel defensive player of the year Randall most improved you know all NBA third team MVP conversation. He's an all-star already, but there needs to be an award given to one of these guys. I mean, if something is up. If if there's if, if Tibbs doesn't get coach of the year, Rose doesn't get a six man, Noel doesn't get defensive player, and Randall doesn't get MVP. If none of those things happen, if not even one of those things happen, something's up here, right? Something's up with the fucking you know, with the media doing their thing, and, and I don't know. It'd be a little fishy to me. Um, but yeah, to have a, have a season like this under Thibodeau feels great. It's just, I, I, how do you not give this guy a coach of the year? I mean, the media was calling this roster rudderless, clunky, bunch of misfits, this and that. They were ripping it, right? Etc. when Fizdale was canned. They made it seem like it was the Knicks' fault. And they threw him an entire pity party for months. And they gave him a job that summer on the jump because of it. They felt so bad for him. Poor Fizdale. You know, Nick's bad. LOL, Nick's. I hope they're remembering that right now when they have to vote for Coach of the Year. That that same roster with a couple of additions, sorry, Alec Burks and some draft picks. But mostly, it's a very similar roster. Tom Thibodeau has taken that roster and, again, has more wins with that roster in one year than David Fizdale had in his entire tenure here. It's incredible. He's turned around Julius Randle. He's gotten R.J. Barrett to look like a future all-star talent. Excuse me. Mitchell Robinson, before the injuries, he was thriving in the starting position and looked like he was on his way to another productive season. He, You look at the numbers, they're improving each year. He defied the 22-23 win Vegas expectation and doubled it, basically. He's developed a strong culture, right? Culture building, that was the big thing. And this team now looks like they're headed into a promising direction. 
right? Now the media is trying to flip it. Now Kellerman's out here on first take with this headline I saw the other day. Is the Knicks season a failure if they don't get past the first one? <laughs> Which it would be disappointing because I feel like we're matched up perfectly with I feel like that's a good matchup for us. I feel like we can handle them. We've beaten them 3 nothing the, on the season series, and we just have the advantages when you look at the matchups. I feel like we can do it. So if they don't, it would be a disappointment in that, in terms of not being the Hawks. But would the season be a failure? No. This Again, this season is already a win. It's already marked a As soon as we finished the year 500, it was already marked as a W. As soon as we clinched the 500 record, it was already marked a W. I mean, yeah, I can't say. I mean, this is the best Knicks team I've seen since Melo. That was the best one since Ewing. We haven't had many good teams. And that's Ewing. You go all the, back, all the way back to the 90s. And Melo won 2013. I and mean, we haven't had shit. We haven't had shit. But this one feels so much better than both of those two. Because, you know, I'm 26 years old. So I don't remember the 90s Knicks. Right? I was, I was born in 95. The 2013 Carmelo Anthony team. Mike Woodson was coaching. Tyson Chandler was the center. J.R. Smith. You had Steve Novak. It was fun. You had a bunch of good role players and a lot of vets. But everybody knew that team was short-term, that it wouldn't last. It was a bunch of stop gaps, and it was eventually going to fall apart, which it did. This one is something you know is here to last long. It's built for the future, so long as we don't do anything stupid. And so you have to credit us. You have to credit Tom Thibodeau, but also Leon Rose, Scott Perry, who is rumored to be getting an extension which is nice. I don't mind it. Um, and all those guys, right? And, and hell, if I even have to, Jim Dolan. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think first and foremost, if we're giving out report cards just to give the Knicks as a unit a grade, how could you go lower than an A+. They have been absolutely way more than what we expected. I don't like giving out A-pluses. I don't. I feel soft when I do. But I really, I can't. I mean, maybe an A, but I can't go lower. I can't. Guys, they doubled their win total from last year. They've had more wins this year than the last two seasons combined. They doubled the Vegas expectation. I mean, they've just been fucking spectacular. For a team that Nobody, even Knicks fans, let's be honest, even we were sleeping on this team heading into the year. So I have to give the Knicks as a unit an A+. Now we're going to get into the individuals in just a second. Dive into the, to the, some of the, uh, blech, dive into some of these players. Um, now we're going to be grading the rotation. I'm not going to grade the non-rotational players. There's no point. Uh, but the guys who are in the rotation, in the nine-man rotation, the ten-man rotation, we will be grading and evaluating. And these grades are based off of each of each individual player's own expectations. So keep that in mind when I'm giving these out. All right, so we're going to head to break. When we get back from break, we'll get this thing started and get to the report card.
So we'll start with the highest grades and we'll work our way down to the lowest grades. <clears throat> it's on a scale from A plus all the way down to F. Uh, there's no F minus. Obviously there's F and then there's plus, minus, and neutral for the grades D and above. <clears throat> so we'll start with the best and we'll work our way down to the worst um, from here. So A plus. Um, that's, there's only one player on this roster who has an A plus. And I think we all know who's got the A plus. <laughs> His name is Julius Randall, right? Uh, Randall deserves the A plus. 24 points, 10 rebounds, six assists, 46% from the field, 41% from three on 5.5 attempts and 81% from the free throw line on six attempts. Just a fantastic season, a career year by far across the board. But, you know, he came into camp looking a lot more in shape, right? And once he started playing, you could tell. His conditioning is so much improved this season. His play on the court, he's so durable. He's been doing this for 40-plus minutes a night. He's been so productive. The jump shot, man. Such an improvement in his jump shot. You talk about how incredibly efficient he's became as a jump shooter. He's making jumpers so smooth, so easily now. At the top of the key. On the elbow. At the free throw line. On the baseline. That turnaround J that he likes from the baseline. And the three-point shot. He loves that step back. And he'll shoot that step back from anywhere over anybody. I mean, it's been an incredible shooting year to begin with when you talk about Julius Randle. He's been a three-level scorer, though. You know, he's been scoring on all three levels. Let's be real. He's finishing well on the inside. His rim reads are a lot better. He's not forcing that spin move anymore into the post where he turns it over. No. He's been a great, efficient three-level scorer. Um, he's making quicker decisions as a, as a playmaker, too. When the ball when the ball's in his hands, he's making quick decisions. His reads on those double teams, much faster. Are there times where he gets in trouble? Yeah. That's one of my only gripes is sometimes the turnovers. But that's going to happen when you are the primary ball handler, you know. And again, when... I guess the only other thing is sometimes he gets gassed at the end of games. You could tell he doesn't have much left in the legs. But again, that's going to happen with the amount of minutes he's playing. Right, He's logging a lot of minutes. The workload is heavy with Julius. And the responsibilities that he has. I totally get it. So he's just had a remarkable year. The first guy since Larry fucking Bird. To go 20-10-5 on 40% three-point shooting. The first guy since Bird. And Bird was the only other guy to accomplish that. And that's not even like... It's not even like that's one of those crazy stats. That are like, yeah, of course. Because it's such a nitpick. And it's so specific. No. That's an impressive... Like, 20-10-5, 40% three-point shooting. That's simple. And only Julius and, and Larry Bird have done that. That's... 
To me, I feel like that should be talked about more. And the crazy thing is he didn't get it up to that. That was a stat I saw earlier in the year. And he still finished with that, which told me, which tells you how consistent he's been. That those numbers were sustainable. Stuttering all night. (laughs) Jesus Christ. But those numbers were sustainable fucking all year for him. So I have to give Julius Randle the A+. RJ Barrett. Now we go down to A-. I thought he had a fabulous sophomore season. Did the wing. 18 points per game. 6 rebounds. 3 assists. On 44% from the field. 40% from 3. On 4.3 attempts. And 70% at the free throw line on 3.8 free throw attempts. Same with him. The improvements across the board are so promising. With RJ Barrett. He's going downhill more off those high pick and rolls. Playing the fast break. He's Got a solid post-up game as a matchup advantage on those smaller guards. But just so crafty, so elusive when he's driving. Great size. Absorbs contact so well with his upper body strength. And of course, when he takes his game outside more, the three-point shooting has been such a surprising turnaround. He is an automatic bucket on those corner spot-ups. He's it's it's like I don't want to say, but it's Clay Thompson shit. It's been Clay Thompson shit for a while. He's automatic. And I can't believe I'm saying that. I still can't. Because remember that awful stretch earlier in the year? He was abysmal. If you told me then he was gonna finish the year forty percent on a decent volume, I would laugh in your fucking face. I remember then I was Texted my buddy who was, you know, is RJ going to be a bust dude? And we were going back and forth like, I don't think so yet, but it's not promising. And, you know, I don't even think he's going to be a great three-point shooter. Uh, All I want this year is for him to hit one of every three, 33 to 35%, something along that line. He ends the season 40%, taking 4.3 per game. (laughs) Awesome. And it's not just the scoring. The rebounding has been really smart, uh, smart, really uh, solid for a guard, wing, swing man, whatever the fuck you want to call him. That's been there. You know, the playmaking has been very sharp. He's playing really good defense, too. That's also something that a lot of Knicks fans forget about that part, the defense. He plays solid defense. If there are things I want to ask him to work on, You know, he does need to be a little bit more efficient inside the arc. You know, he was only 45 or 46% on two-point shots this year, which is bad. Um, You know, in particular, it's be more efficient at the rim. Make some smarter rim reads. And that also has to do, it's not just his shot selection, which it can be wild at times at the rim, but it's having Peyton out there with poor spacing, you know, the guys that respect Peyton's jumper, so they're collapsing in the paint, and it's becoming crowded, which we'll get to. But 
you know, make smarter rim reads and, and maybe get better with his right hand. Um, right now he's got a left, but he doesn't have a right. It's been better though. It's much better his right this year than it than it was last year. Um, and maybe develop a shot off the dribble. Right, work on that mid range game. This way, you know, you become more consistent when teams start running you off the three point line, and you know, eventually defenses are going to start realizing that RJ is limited to those spot up threes, and doesn't really have a pull up three or or an off the bounce step back three pointer yet. So maybe eventually develop some kind of handle to where you could take it in the mid-range and pull up consistently from there. I think that's what's going to take his game to the next step. Expand his arsenal if he can get a mid-range. And maybe, you know, some smarter decision-making when he's playmaking and passing at times. A lot of times you'll see him go across pack lanes and force a pass. But overall, man, it's a very solid impressive sophomore season for R.J. Barrett. 20 years old. 20 years old. You look at some of the players he's been compared to. Jimmy Butler also... I love that comparison, by the way. He had a, he had a look at the start to Jimmy Butler's career. He wasn't a superstar of the gate. Look at the start to R.J.'s career. 14 and night as a rookie. Jumped that all the way up to 18. And already a decent defender. So he gets the A minus. I have one more A minus here. And that's going to Derrick Rose. I mean, how could you not love what Derrick Rose has brought to this Knicks team? And excuse me if I do forget some things to talk about when we're talking about Rose, because there are so much things to love about him. But he averaged, and these are his numbers with the Knicks. So the Pistons are not included here. 15 points per game, 3 rebounds, 4 assists, 1.4 turnovers. And he did all that on 49% from the floor, 41% from the arc, and 88% on the stripe. 2.6 threes a night attempted, 2.2 free throws attempts, uh, free throw attempts a night. I feel so shitty for being very much against this trade. I'm not going to lie. I did not want this to happen. I was concerned. Another guard who can't shoot. Another guard who's going to get in the way of quickly. I jumped ahead. I'm not going to lie. I was dead wrong. But man, has he been such a big difference over Alfred Payton at point guard. He gets this team running. Every time he's out there with his high tempo style of play, the Knicks are always running when he's out there. And that's huge to keep up in today's game. As many possessions as you can. He, his shot creation abilities in 1v1, his playmaking, his dribble drive and penetration, I mean, constantly attacking the lane and either throwing up that runner he loves or some kind of acrobatic finish. Really tough finisher. Or if he's not scoring on the drive, he's kicking it out to open shooters. One of the leaders in 
points off of the driving kick this year. Or assists. Points generated. It was a stat I saw on NBA.com. Um, his pull-up game is great. The mid-range jumper. His three-point shot has been a pleasant surprise, too. I did not expect him to keep shooting this well from three. It's not a ton, but he makes them. He makes them. His pick and roll, pick and pop game, very strong. Just a fabulous fucking addition to lead the second unit. He's got Nobi Toppin to unlock some potential. Getting him going on those leak outs. And you know, Rose's passing overall. It's been very unselfish and efficient. And he plays very good. He too plays very good, very smart, effective defense. I think that's one, again, thing Knicks fans keep forgetting about is a lot of these good offensive weapons we have can play defense. I'm not saying they're all Reggie Bullock, but they do play defense. My only knock on Rose is it's not really on him. It's just it's unfortunate that he's older and he's got a lot of wear and tear on the knees and on the ankles, so he tires out a bit at the end of games. But again, it's, it's unfortunate. It's just one of those things. Is you know, it's the thing that happens when you get older. But you know, the stat that really stands out to me, the two stats that really stand out to me, that I I dig into his basketball reference page and not shocked, but really impressed. The Knicks are twenty-five and ten when Derrick Rose is in that lineup. Twenty-five and ten is fucking good. If we thought forty-one and thirty-one was good. 25 and 10 is a over, over, well over a 50 win pace. And the second stat I found when digging into his basketball reference 26 of the 35 games he's played in for the Knicks, he's had a plus minus of zero or better. 26 of the 35. Nine, just nine have been negative plus minus. And you might not like that stat, but that's something that actually matches the eye test when you watch D-Rose play basketball. 6 man of the year? I don't know, maybe. I don't think he'll win it, but he should be in the conversation. Who's he up against? I know, uh, you know, Brunson, maybe. Um, Mello. I've got... Shake Milton, maybe, from Philly. Is he still with them? Yeah. Joe Angles, uh, Jordan Clarkson, Gallo, Portis, Bobby P. Bobby Buckets. Uh, the guy, the kid from the Raptors, Chris Boucher, who torched us a couple times. <laughs> I don't know. I have to look at the list, but regardless, he's just been such a great savvy veteran to have on this team great leader the guys love him great for the clubhouse the fans love him he's a fan favorite Derek Rose everybody A minus so let's get to the B's and stuff um let's head to break really quick and when we get back we'll start talking about who we've got for B plus
So I've got two B pluses. Two B pluses. The first B plus I have here, Reggie Bullock. Reggie Bullock has been very, very strong for the Knicks. He averaged 11 points this year, three rebounds, two assists, and he did so on 44% from the field, 41% from three, 91% at the line, and he shot 6.1 attempts a game from the uh, from the three-point line and 0.8 free throw attempts per game. Reggie was your prototypical 3 and D wing, right? He's going to be tasked with the <clears throat> excuse me, toughest assignment. And on the other end, he will hit multiple threes for you. Off those pin downs, those curl cuts, and DHOs, spot ups in the corner, good movement shooter, good standstill shooter. He, he's been shooting the rock lights out. He's got such great chemistry with Julius on those three balls that, um, that's also helped him. But yeah, a wonderful turnaround season for Reggie Bullock. Now that he's fully healthy this season. And while I'm calling myself out, here's another guy who <laughs> I wanted him out of the rotation earlier in the year. <laughs> him and the next guy we're about to get to, I wanted out of the rotation early in the year. <laughs> I've had some bad takes. I've had a lot of good takes, which people only remember the bad things you say, but never the good. But hey, I've had some bad takes, and this was one of them. My only gripe with Reggie is, you know, obviously he's not a ball handler, so most of his game is going to be alongside guys who can set him up. So he plays off the ball, he just shoots. Um, he doesn't create, nothing like that. But that, and we've seen him fade at the end of games, which really sucks because he's such a sharpshooter. He's a great, great fire starter, but it'd be nice to get some more consistency from Reggie in those fourth quarters and in the overtime periods. <clears throat> but another stat I loved when I looked up his basketball reference, the Knicks are 28 and 10 this season. 28 and 10 when Reggie scores in double figures. So there you have it. Play Rose and feed Reggie and you're going to win. B-plus for Reggie Bullock. And here's another B-plus, the final B-plus that we have. I've got Nerlens Noel. Another guy I wanted out of the rotation earlier in the season. I really should stop stop uh, spitting out hot takes. Um, Nerlens, numbers won't shock you. They won't stand out at you. You know, five points, six rebounds, one assist. 61% from the floor. Obviously, doesn't shoot threes. 71% on the line. 2.2 blocks per game. 1.1 steals per game. Both of those stats led the Knicks. Plays the lane well. Block shots. Shot blocking extraordinaire. And that's huge. With Mitchell Robinson going down, who would have thought the Knicks would have kept this defense up? Because a lot of us were worried. Could they sustain it? But... Noel always led his blocks always led to those momentum shifting baskets out in transition always do so you know and anytime you get the Knicks out running 
Anytime you get them running, you take it. Always want to see them run. Um, You know, his pick and roll coverage is sometimes good, sometimes not. Actually praised him for it a few weeks ago. His ability to execute the drop defense so well. You know, how he ices out those ball screens and yada yada. But then you take a look at him lately and it's like, uh, he does have issues. You know, you can see it with the lack of mobility. His pick and roll vulnerability hurts sometimes. You know, he can be slow rotating back after helping. And, um, you know, it can be tough to watch at times. But he's also not a, not a strong rebounder. Um, he struggles a lot against bigger, more physical defenses. He's got brick hands. We all know that. He drops everything that comes to him. Doesn't provide much offense. You know, no post-up game. Um, not a ton of lobs and not much outside shooting it. You know, aside from an occasional baby jumper. But all in all, man, with how incredible he's been on the defensive end at the rim and in the lanes, just, again, way more than a serviceable stopgap in Mitchell Robinson's absence. So I, I can't really say that Noel has been anything less than a B-plus for this Knicks team. So that's what he gets. We've got one, two, three, three Bs. Three B flats. Just a straight up B. I'll start with Alec Burks. I give him a B. Um, you know, probably would have gotten a B plus if his defense was like Bullocks, but it's not. And he's been a little bit injury prone. At times he can get a bit sloppy on the ball. Not the defender Reggie is. And again, the injuries. But aside from those three things, I want to extend this guy. I really do. I love what he's brought into this Knicks team. You know, he's averaging 13 points. He averaged 13 points, five rebounds, two assists. On 42% from the floor, 42% from three, 86% at the line. Five three-point attempts a game, 2.4 free throw attempts a night. Call him Triple B for a reason, guys. Triple B. Great jump shooter. Always come through with big buckets in the fourth quarter. Big bucket Burks. Triple B. That's my nickname, too, that I developed for him. Um, he shoots well off the catch. He's obviously a great shooter off the dribble. Likes to shot create. Plays on the ball a lot. Likes to attack the lane and either kick it out or draw contact. And again, when he's healthy, he's been an integral part to the Knicks' success. I love Alec Burks. His microwave scoring in those fourth quarters plenty of times has helped has helped us pull away from games that we had no business taking. Also getting a B. Taj Gibson. I I love this dude. I could write a whole essay on how much I love Taj. And I can't believe I this was another guy who I wasn't I wasn't against it. But I was like when when they went out and signed him, I was like, oh, another guy who's probably not gonna impact much just here because Thibodeau's coaching. He's been much more than than just a neutral player. He's actually been he's not just another body. Last year I felt like he was another body. This year I feel like he's actually been more than that. 
Again, the numbers aren't going to wow you. Five points, six rebounds, one assist, 63%, 20%, 73%, 0. 0.7 steals, 1.1 blocks. But it's the intangibles. It's the intangibles. And I don't like calling him an intangibles guy because a lot of times I feel like that makes a player seem like they're less than they are. But he's so good at that. He's so durable. He plays every game. He's tough. He played with a fucking black eye. It was like red and purple and all that shit. He's so tough. He sets excellent screens. He's diving for loose balls constantly. He's poking loose balls away. Battling on the glass. Tipping it in. Tipping it out. Strong defense. Can bring a different dynamic than Nerlens can. You know, offensively by putting the ball on the floor and adding a little bit of scoring and playmaking. Decent mid-range shot. Good post player. See him on the low post. A lot. So strong for this Knicks team. Really good in the limited minutes that he gets about 15 to 20 per game. And, you know, the only knocks, he's older, so he's not as athletic. Doesn't have the same strength. Not a huge shot block presence, but overall, I love the dude. He's like the Udonis Aslam of the Knicks. Remember from back in 2013 from Miami? He's been that, I guess, a glue guy, but like not really. It's just, there's a maybe a Swiss Army knife. I don't know. He's just been so important for when Noel heads to the bench to have your third string backup play like a second string backup. And he's done that so well. Our final B, before we drop down to the C categories, our final B, Emmanuel Quickly, of course. 11 points, two boards, two dimes, 40% from the field, 39% from three, and 89% from the free throw line. Attempted 4.7 three-point attempts a night. And 2.7 free throw shots a night. Spark plug off the bench. You know, momentum shifting threes. With how timely they are. Always feels like he hits a three at the top of every fourth quarter. And there he's got incredible range, right? Range that nobody... You have to have a lot of confidence as a rookie to take these shots. And he does it. And when he's on, it's so fucking fun to watch. Can it be frustrating? Of course. That's why his numbers are a bit inefficient. That's why he's been a bit inconsistent. Shot selection is an issue, right? But he was such a ridiculous presence for us, especially early on, before the consistently tapered off a bit. The consistency tapered off a bit. Just, oh man, he's been he's been so good. Remember there were talks about him needing to start a point guard. That was before we brought in Rose. <laughs> we're still starting Payton. Um, but, you know, quickly, I solid B. He's been good. Despite the, you know, he's been madly, madly, wildly, I was going to say maddening, wildly inconsistent. Still, you know, needs some work on defense. His size makes it tougher to fight through screens and playmaking needs some improvement. Kind of brings up that question, is he a one, is he a two? The floater is good. 
but I still think he needs a mid-range jumper and maybe, you know, a layup package to go, you know, develop a nice in-between game. But, um, you know, shoots off the bounce, can spot up. It doesn't really matter what position he is. He just goes out there and he balls out. I think he's perfect for that role. Now that we have an idea at point guard, we've got Rose to finish out the season and, you know, we're going to chase Lonzo Ball in the offseason. I think we could talk about quickly being the perfect scoring guard off the bench. And those are your Bs. We'll be right back and we'll start getting to the Cs. We actually have a C and then a D- minus to wrap out the uh, the rest of them. And I think you know <laughs> We'll be right back. Obi Toppin, I gave him a C. Could be a little optimistic here. I don't know. He averaged four points, two rebounds, one assist. The efficiency numbers weren't bad. 50%, 31%, 73%, 62% on his twos. But we saw his confidence grow a lot more. Tremendously. As the season wore on. He wasn't as hesitant. He was more aggressive. And those were points that we were making as to why he shouldn't have been in the rotation. About mid-season, we were saying he was unplayable. But Tibbs, you know, stubborn as ever, stuck with his lineups, and it's now paid off. He ended the season on a very strong note. Definitely on a high note. And he's now more, no more just, you know, some floor spacer who you stick in the corner. But he's doing more things. He's making hard cuts. Um, he's throwing down lobs from the dunker spot. Seen, we've seen him in some more pick and roll actions. You know, he hit that nice smooth step in, and then you know took that mid range J off the glass against the Celtics in the finale on Sunday. That was cool. So we're seeing him become more comfortable in this offense, and he's obviously played so well. With Derrick Rose being that they're both open court players. So that's helped him thrive. Like we mentioned. <clears throat> the defense, not as bad as we thought. He does need work on rotations and you know defensive positioning is an issue for him at times. But overall, I you know, not the season Knicks fans wanted for sure for Moby. But things change, right? Julius Randle panned out after all so it's it doesn't hurt as much as it uh what up could you imagine if Julius didn't pan out and we talk we, we it would be a whole different storyline the media will be talking about the Knicks drafting another bust in the lottery and blah 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 but Randall panned out and we got a nice steal at the end of the first round in, in Emmanuel quickly so it's just the way the season has gone it's like everything has gone so well to where it's prevented anything from being a legitimate issue that, that gets major attention. That makes any sense. So Obi gets a C. And then we get to the guy who's fallen all the way down to the D minus. Um, I gave, I gave number six 
a D minus. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Listen, I'm I he's I'm sure he's a cool dude. I really feel bad at times for ripping him so much because it's not you know, it's it's more Tom Thibodeau. Or whoever maybe it's Scott Perry, maybe he's got nudes on on Tibbs and that's why he's forcing them to play. Or maybe, you know, Scott Perry is kind of forcing the hand here because he's a Perry pick after all. But I do feel bad. But he's just not he's not it. Ten points per game, three rebounds a night, three assists, forty three percent from the floor, twenty nine percent from three, sixty eight percent at the line, attempts one point six threes a night, one point seven attempts at the line. He's the least talented player we've had in a while, and he still plays every night. We've seen all we've needed to see with Alfred Payton. Dude got blocked twice by Cornette. He tried to dunk on him the other night. He gets blocked at the rim. He's missing floaters when he's attacking the lane because he's got tunnel vision and doesn't kick out to everybody else. He's got no jump shot, no offense outside of three feet. He slows the game down when he's in the half court. Full court even. He won't even run the full court. Doesn't even look up on the break. Yeah. Doesn't get everybody involved. RJ. Constantly shrugging RJ off. When he's wide open, they'll shrug him off. Get blocked. Take a bad two-on-one possession shot. He's even regressed as a playmaker, which was supposed to be the only decent part of his game, you know, getting into the paint and kicking it out. But even that's regressed, and he's... It's just not there enough. And his defense, my gosh. I don't know why people even praise his defense. It's not good. Even Breen and Clyde have gotten tired tired of his lack of effort as the season has winded down. He gets lazy off ball. He gets lazy going around those screens. His pick and roll communication is poor. And him not recovering on those ball screens is always forcing our bigs to hedge in order to cut off the drive. And that leads to open shots down low in the restricted area. And back to his offense, he, when he doesn't have the ball in his hands, he's just standing in the corner and pouting. You could see it with his body language. We talked we talked about it with Tommy Beer's tweet. Go look that up. But you could go back and watch a lot of these games. You could see it. He's just useful off he's useless. When he's playing the two, basically you'll have him in these lineups where he plays the two sometimes, and he's completely useless because he can't shoot. And he doesn't shoot and he can't shoot. And because of this, he's standing in the corner and defenses play off him. And they'll just crowd the paint because guys like RJ tried to drive, now driving into poor spacing because Alfred Payton isn't respected as a shooter. He's not a floor spacer. And his men are in the paint, collapsing, focusing on Barrett because they know he's going to drive or somebody else will be driving and the paint's just crowded because you don't have a perimeter shooter out there or an existent weapon beyond three feet out there. We see it every fucking game, it feels like. But whenever he heads to the bench and either Rose or IQ or Burks step, it, step into the lead ball handling role, the Knicks pick it up immediately and they start playing better and they go on a run. 
every single time that happens. Frank, Mitch, Rivers, Iggy, Knox, Pell, Theo Pinson, Jared Harper, DSJ even, all those guys, maybe I've missed a few, I gave N.A., I didn't give a grade because they're either not around anymore or they're just simply not in the rotation. Although we will get to Frank a bit more later because I have a brief take on him. <clears throat> uh, we'll be right back. Speaking of Alfred Payton, though, <clears throat> it brings me to this. Really briefly, before we end this and go to the uh, conversation that you're going to listen to with uh, Ryan and I. When we play Atlanta in this first round, you're looking at the guard rotation. I, I don't see it happening this way. But I, I pray, I put my hands together, and I absolutely pray that the guard rotation does not include Peyton. Peyton. <clears throat> I'm sorry. Again, I, I don't mean to keep doing it. But when somebody's this bad, it needs to be discussed. <clears throat> Jesus Christ. It needs to be discussed. Because, <clears throat> like, do you trust, do you trust Alfred Peyton? On those ball screens when you've got Trey Young shooting off them? Do you really trust him to get over the screen there? <laughs> I don't. I sure as shit don't. I think you need to start Rose. I think you need to, bro. I I really think you need to. And then you have, you know, IQ coming alongside in different lineups with the bench unit. Alec Burks and, and maybe mix in Frank in that order. You know, because with Rose, you're starting him at the first, you're starting him in the first quarter and he's starting in the third quarter. So you're getting off to good starts, which is a huge issue for this next team. And we get him down the stretch. We get him in the later half of the second and in the end of games. Which we already get that right now. And so that means Tibbs clearly knows that EP is a liability. Which makes it even more befuddling as to why he even still plays him. And starts him. But with Rose you're getting that. You're getting, you're getting a good start. If you start him you're getting off to a... There's a chance you're getting off to a much better start. You know. We can't afford that in the play. We cannot afford Alfred Payton's 15 minutes, you know, six or seven in each half at the start of each half. We can't afford that. We can't afford the offense to go stale to start each half. The margin of error in the playoffs is way too fucking small for him to be out there that long. 
even if it's only 15 minutes total. It's just, it's not, I would rather give Frank those 15 minutes and, you know, foul the fuck out of Trey Young, smother him, get physical with him, make him uncomfortable, you know? And on the other end, Frank can also shoot the three well. He expands the court by playing in the corners. He stretches it. So him, Reggie, the two 3 and D wings, I, this is why I actually think one of those guys are going to play a major key in this first round here. Keep an eye on one of those two names. It may be Reggie because I don't know if Frank will get that shot. But having those 3 and D wings, I'm telling you, it's so crucial in the playoffs. You see it every year. Look at Danny Green's career. Look how it's panned out. You know, look at Joe uh, Joe Johnson, was it? Joe Harris. Like They are huge. In today's game, you need 3 and D wings. You know, play Thibodeau ball. It's Thibodeau ball. You, you play defense. You stress player in ball movement. And you stress spacing and corner three-point shooting, which the Knicks led the league in corner three-point shooting. They were third in three-point percentage. But I think as far as the guard rotation goes, yeah, you need to exclude Alfred. You need to start Rose, finish games with Rose, and have guys like IQ alongside him, and then Burks and Frank play the guard positions too. But you can't have Alfred Payton out there for 15 minutes against the Atlanta Hawks. That's just too harmful. You can't take that risk. I just... You need to put the best product on the court. I just feel like Alfred Payton doesn't bring the best product. I feel like lineups without him do. Um, And you look around. You know, don't want to go too deep into this because I don't want this episode to drag on for three hours. I was probably going to be two. But... Randall, I think, will have no problem on John Collins. I feel like he'll eat him. John Collins can't defend Randall. He can't defend in general. But, like, Randall dropped over 40 points twice on the Hawks this year. And in the one game he didn't, he dropped, he was two points shy of 30. So, Collins is no, he's no Giannis. Who, man, that would have been a nightmare. Because Giannis gives him tough times. You know, the Bucks were, they would send help early and they would, send help all night on Julius, but I feel like against the Hawks, he's going to be able to handle to handle a body like John Collins. Tell you who I'm not exactly stoked about, though, is facing Clint Capella. You know, Clint Capella's the real deal. You know, last time Clint Capella faced us, he dropped what, he dropped 25 and fucking 22? That cannot happen again. I'll tell you that right now. That could not happen again. I, you know, I know Noel has his issues on the glass, as we've said, the rebounding, and we got to start boxing out better. We've got to do a better job boxing out. That's been a problem for everybody. Um, and Noel in the pick and roll, as we've said, can be up and down. Those are Capella's strengths right there: boxing out, rebounding, rim rolling. Throwing down lobs. Those extra effort tippets. Those are his strengths. And when his strengths are Noel's weaknesses. That scares me. I'm not going to lie. It scares me a little bit. Second chance points. Will play a critical. Monumental. Role. In this first round series against the Hawks. Second chance points. 
and you look at Capella, you know, guys like RJ Barrett, he does struggle a little bit against those longer defenders at the rim. So we will see what happens there. Keep an eye on that. But yeah, we cannot let Capella roam free like we did last time to go for 25 and 22. No. If anything, hack his ass every time he snags the rebound late in the fourth quarter. Get him to the line, force him to shoot free throws because he can't do that. And don't forget, you know, some of their backcourt. They've got a terrific backcourt with Young and Bogdanovich. You know, can't let Bogdanovich get too hot. Hunter, good, strong wing with good size. He can score pretty versatilely. Kevin Huerter, who hurt us last time. You know, he killed us from three. Last time the two sides met, he had that big first half and he cooked R.J. Barrett. Um, but yeah, it's it's Young and Capella. They're two-man game between the lobs, the threes off the ball screens, and the teardroppers he'll throw up, the, the foul drawing gimmick he can do. He does a lot of bullshit, but it works. You know, officials don't love us. They love Trey Young. That's for sure. So I think we got to focus on Trey Young, obviously, make his life hell. If we keep playing Thibodeau defense, you know, throwing pressure on ball handlers like Young, and I think we'll be good. Focus on him. Scares me, you know, we like to drop off the arc a lot and kind of sag. And often guys are overcommitting on the help, which leaves us, you know, plenty susceptible to open threes. But I think if we keep playing physical, if we keep rotating well, which is key, we've been rotating exceptionally well this year, and I've made that point known several times, I think we'll be fine. And on the flip, you know, the Knicks have. They've got their perimeter shooters, the Knicks, right? We were top three in three-point percentage. Number of guys at 40% and above. We must take advantage of every time they go under on us or every time they're a step slow rotating. We've got to take advantage and convert. There are no room for mistakes. And we've got to tighten up down the stretch of games. That's one thing I want to bring up real briefly. We need to tighten up down the stretch of ball games. You know, defensively, we allow way too many open looks at the end there. We're not very crisp out of ATOs. And offensively, we revert way too much to isolation sets where we just throw it to Julius and say, here, save us, or we'll just give it to one of our guards and everybody turns into fucking statues. We've Thibodeau's got to take a long, hard look at his playbook, and because it's very predictable, you know, you just throw it to Julius for the final shot, or throw it to him in the final minutes and let him do. That's not that's not a set. That's some shit that needs to be tweaked. It's teams are gonna. It's it's more predictable than I joked about it in the blog today. Stanton going on the DL. It is. That's one thing you have to... I don't know. That scares me. The Knicks, you know, they could be a little iffy in those close games. Were they 2-9 and nine in three-point games or something like that? That's it. If we can do that, we'll be fine. <laughs> Listen, there, there are so many little things you could pick at and say, well, they need to do this, they need to do that, and blah, blah, blah. 
truth be told, we don't know anything until we actually see the game. Let it all play out. But I like to analyze things. I overthink. I'm a diehard fan. It's in my blood to overthink and get like nervous and stressed and excited. I'm stoked. Let's let's be excited for this, man. It's our first playoff in eight years. <coughs> Excuse me. Um. So let's get to break one last time. Be right back. So last time out in the NYY NYK question of the day for episode 247, this is 248, but in 247, I asked you guys, we were talking Yankees, who played Babe Ruth in the movie, The Pride of the Yankees? And the answer to that question, Babe Ruth, Babe Ruth played Babe Ruth in The Pride of the Yankees. That's my thumbnail right there if you're watching the podcast and just saw me raise my arms up for no reason. Babe Ruth played Babe Ruth in the movie The Pride of the Yankees. Tonight's episode, um, our NYY NYK question of the day for episode 248 brought to you by Anchor. Best way to make a podcast, go to the Anchor app or download or download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm. I always fuck that part up. Julius Randle may very well get in all NBA team this year. Good chance he makes him 13. But which Nick was named all NBA first team the most times in franchise history? All right. So one last time, Julius Randle may get an all NBA team this year. Which Nick was named all NBA first team the most times in franchise history? So let me know the answer on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, or just message me the answer once I publish this podcast on social media. Social media, you can comment the answer or message it to me whenever I post a promo or link. Guys, thank you so much. I appreciate you tuning in. Thank you so much for watching. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, RJ Carbone, and I'll see you next time. Ciao.